Part One of Vindication of the Rights of Men by Mary Wollstonecraft. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part One. A letter to the Right Honourable Edmund Burke, Sir. It is not necessary, with courtly insincerity, to apologize to you for thus intruding on your precious time not to profess that i think it an honour to discuss an important subject with a man whose literary abilities have raised him to notice in the state i have not yet learned to twist my periods nor in the equivocable idiom of politeness to disguise my sentiments and simply what i should be afraid to utter if therefore in the course of this epistle i chance to express contempt and even indignation with some emphasis i beseech you to believe that it is not a flight of fancy for truth in morals has never appeared to me the essence of the sublime and in taste simplicity the only criterion of the beautiful but i war not with an individual when i contend for the rights of men and the liberty of reason you see i do not condescend to call my words to avoid the invidious phrase nor shall i be prevented from giving a manly definition of it by the flimsiest ridicule which a lively fancy has interwoven with the present acceptation of the term reverencing the rights of humanity i shall dare to assert them not intimidated by the horse-laugh that you have raised or waiting till time has wiped away the compassionate tears which you have elaborately laboured to excite from the many just sentiments interspersed through the letter before me and from the whole tendency of it i should believe you to be a good though a vain man if some circumstances in your conduct did not render the inflexibility of your integrity doubtful and for this vanity a knowledge of human nature enables me to discover such extenuating circumstances in the very texture of your mind that i am ready to call it amiable and separate the public from the private character i know that a lively imagination renders a man particularly calculated to shine in conversation and in those desultory productions where method is disregarded and the instantaneous applause which his eloquence extorts is at once a reward and a spur once a wit and always a wit is an aphorism that has received the sanction of experience yet i am apt to conclude that the man who with scrupulous anxiety endeavours to support that shining character can never nourish by reflection any profound or if you please metaphysical passion ambition becomes only the tool of vanity and his reason the weathercock of unrestrained feelings is only employed to varnish over the faults which it ought to have corrected sacred however would the infirmities and errors of a good man be in my eyes if they were only displayed in a private circle if the venial fault only rendered the wit anxious like a celebrated beauty to raise admiration on every occasion and excite emotion instead of the calm reciprocation of mutual esteem and unimpassioned respect such vanity enlivens social intercourse and forces the little great man to be always on his guard to secure his throne 
and an ingenious man who is ever on the watch for conquest will in his eagerness to exhibit his whole store of knowledge furnish an attentive observer with some useful information calcined by fancy and formed by taste and though some dry reasoner might whisper that the arguments were superficial and should even add that the feelings which are thus ostentatiously displayed are often the cold declamation of the head and not the effusions of the heart what will these shrewd remarks avail when the witty arguments and ornamental feelings are on a level with the comprehension of the fashionable world and a book is found very amusing even the ladies, sir, may repeat your sprightly sallies, and retail in theatrical attitudes many of your sentimental exclamations. Sensibility is the manie of the day, and compassion the virtue which is to cover a multitude of vices, whilst justice is left to mourn in sullen silence, and balance truth in vain." in life an honest man with a confined understanding is frequently the slave of his habits and the dupe of his feelings whilst the man with a clearer head and colder heart makes the passions of others bend to his interest but truly sublime is the character that acts from principle and governs the inferior springs of activity without slackening their vigour whose feelings give vital heat to his resolves but never hurry him into feverish eccentricities however as you have informed us that respect chills love it is natural to conclude that all your pretty flights arise from your pampered sensibility and that vain of this fancied preeminence of organs you foster every emotion till the fumes mounting to your brain dispel the sober suggestions of reason it is not in this view surprising that when you should argue you become impassioned and that reflection inflames your imagination instead of enlightening your understanding quitting now the flowers of rhetoric let us sir reason together and believe me i should not have meddled with these troubled waters in order to point out your inconsistencies if your wit had not burnished up some rusty baneful opinions and swelled the shallow current of ridicule till it resembled the flow of reason and presumed to be the test of truth i shall not attempt to follow you through horseway and footpath but attacking the foundation of your opinions i shall leave the superstructure to find a centre of gravity on which it may lean till some strong blast puffs it into air or your teeming fancy which the ripening judgment of sixty years has not tamed produces another chinese erection to stare at every turn the plain country people in the face who bluntly call such an airy edifice a folly the birthright of man to give you sir a short definition of this disputed right is such a degree of liberty civil and religious as is compatible with the liberty of every other individual with whom he is united in a social compact and the continued existence of that compact liberty in this simple unsophisticated sense i acknowledge is a fair idea that has never yet received a form in the various governments that have been established on our beauteous globe 
the demon of property has ever been at hand to encroach on the sacred rights of men and to fence round with awful pomp laws that war with justice but that it results from the eternal foundation of right from immutable truth who will presume to deny that pretends to rationality if reason has led them to build their morality and religion on an everlasting foundation the attributes of god i glow with indignation when i attempt methodically to unravel your slavish paradoxes in which i can find no fixed first principle to refute i shall not therefore condescend to show where you affirm in one page what you deny in another and how frequently you draw conclusions without any previous premises it would be something like cowardice to fight with a man who had never exercised the weapons with which his opponent chose to combat and irksome to refute sentence after sentence in which the latent spirit of tyranny appeared i perceive from the whole tenor of your reflections that you have a mortal antipathy to reason but if there is anything like argument or first principles in your wild declamation behold the result that we are to reverence the rust of antiquity and term the unnatural customs which ignorance and mistaken self-interest have consolidated the sage fruit of experience nay that if we do discover some errors our feelings should lead us to excuse with blind love or unprincipled filial affection the venerable vestige of ancient days these are gothic notions of beauty the ivy is beautiful but when it insidiously destroys the trunk from which it receives support who would not grub it up further that we ought cautiously to remain forever in frozen inactivity because a thaw whilst it nourishes the soil spreads a temporary inundation and the fear of risking any personal present convenience should prevent a struggle for the most estimable advantages this is sound reasoning i grant in the mouth of the rich and short-sighted yes sir the strong gained riches the few have sacrificed the many to their vices and to be able to pamper their appetites and supinely exist without exercising mind or body they have ceased to be men lost to the relish of true pleasure such beings would indeed deserve compassion if injustice was not softened by the tyrant's plea necessity if prescription was not raised as an immortal boundary against innovation their minds in fact instead of being cultivated have been so warped by education that it may require some ages to bring them back to nature and enable them to see their true interest with that degree of conviction which is necessary to influence their conduct the civilization which has taken place in europe has been very partial and like every custom that an arbitrary point of honour has established refines the manners at the expense of morals by making sentiments and opinions current in conversation that have no root in the heart or weight in the cooler resolves of the mind and what has stopped its progress hereditary property hereditary honours 
the man has been changed into an artificial monster by the station in which he was born and the consequent homage that benumbed his faculties like the torpedo's touch or a being with a capacity of reasoning would not have failed to discover as his faculties unfolded that true happiness arose from the friendship and intimacy which can only be enjoyed by equals and that charity is not a condescending distribution of alms but an intercourse of good offices and mutual benefits founded on respect for justice and humanity governed by these principles the poor wretch whose inelegant distress extorted from a mixed feeling of disgust and animal sympathy present relief would have been considered as a man whose misery demanded a part of his birthright supposing him to be industrious but should his vices have reduced him to poverty he could only have addressed his fellow-men as weak beings subject to like passions who ought to forgive because they expect to be forgiven for suffering the impulse of the moment to silence these suggestions of conscience or reason which you will for in my view of things they are synonymous terms will mr burke be at the trouble to inform us how far we are to go back to discover the rights of men since the light of reason is such a fallacious guide that none but fools trust to its cold investigation in the infancy of society confining our view to our own country customs were established by the lawless power of an ambitious individual or a weak prince was obliged to comply with every demand of the licentious barbarous insurgents who disputed his authority with irrefragable arguments at the point of their swords or the more specious requests of the parliament who only allowed him conditional supplies are these the venerable pillars of our constitution and is magna carta to rest for its chief support on a former grant which reverts to another till chaos becomes the base of the mighty structure or we cannot tell what for coherence without some pervading principle of order is a solecism speaking of edward the third hume observes that he was a prince of great capacity not governed by favourites not led astray by any unruly passion sensible that nothing could be more essential to his interests than to keep on good terms with his people yet on the whole it appears that the government at best was only a barbarous monarchy not regulated by any fixed maxims or bounded by any certain or undisputed rights which in practice were regularly observed the king conducted himself by one set of principles the barons by another the commons by a third the clergy by a fourth all these systems of government were opposite and incompatible each of them prevailed in its turn as incidents were favourable to it a great prince rendered the monarchical power predominant the weakness of a king gave reins to the aristocracy a superstitious age saw the clergy triumphant the people for whom chiefly government was instituted and who chiefly deserved consideration were the weakest of the whole 
and just before that most auspicious era the fourteenth century during the reign of richard the second whose total incapacity to manage the reins of power and keep in subjection his haughty barons rendered him a mere cipher the house of commons to whom he was obliged frequently to apply not only for subsidies but assistance to quell the insurrection that the contempt in which he was held naturally produced gradually rose into power for whenever they granted supplies to the king they demanded in return though it bore the name of petition a confirmation or the renewal of former charters which had been infringed and even utterly disregarded by the king and his seditious barons who principally held their independence of the crown by force of arms and the encouragement which they gave to robbers and villains who infested the country and lived by rapine and violence to what dreadful extremities were the poorer sort reduced their property the fruit of their industry being entirely at the disposal of their lords who were so many petty tyrants in return for the supplies and assistance which the king received from the commons they demanded privileges which edward in his distress for money to prosecute the numerous wars in which he was engaged during the greater part of his reign was constrained to grant them so that by degrees they rose to power and became a check on both king and nobles thus was the foundation of our liberty established chiefly through the pressing necessities of the king who was more intent on being supplied for the moment in order to carry on his wars and ambitious projects than aware of the blow he gave to kingly power by thus making a body of men feel their importance who afterwards might strenuously oppose tyranny and oppression and effectually guard the subject's property from seizure and confiscation richard's weakness completed what edward's ambition began at this period it is true wycliffe opened a vista for reason by attacking some of the most pernicious tenets of the church of rome still the prospect was sufficiently misty to authorize the question where was the dignity of thinking of the fourteenth century a roman catholic it is true enlightened by the reformation might with singular propriety celebrate the epoch that preceded it to turn our thoughts from former atrocious enormities but a protestant must acknowledge that this faint dawn of liberty only made the subsiding darkness more visible and that the boasted virtues of that century all bear the stamp of stupid pride and headstrong barbarism civility was then called condescension and ostentatious almsgiving humanity and men were content to borrow their virtues or to speak with more propriety their consequence from posterity rather than undertake the arduous task of acquiring it for themselves the imperfection of all modern governments must without waiting to repeat the trite remark that all human institutions are unavoidably imperfect in a great measure have arisen from this simple circumstance that the constitution if such an heterogeneous mass deserve that name was settled in the dark days of ignorance when the minds of men were shackled by the grossest prejudices and most immoral superstition 
and do you sir a sagacious philosopher recommend night as the fittest time to analyze a ray of light are we to seek for the rights of men in the ages when a few marks were the only penalty imposed for the life of a man and death for death when the property of the rich was touched when i blush to discover the depravity of our nature when a deer was killed are these the laws that it is natural to love and sacrilegious to invade were the rights of men understood when the law authorized or tolerated murder or is power and right the same in your creed but in fact all your declamation leads so directly to this conclusion that i beseech you to ask your own heart when you call yourself a friend of liberty whether it would not be more consistent to style yourself the champion of property the adorer of the golden image which power has set up and when you are examining your heart if it would not be too much like mathematical drudgery to which a fine imagination very reluctantly stoops inquire further how it is consistent with the vulgar notions of honesty and the foundation of morality truth for a man to boast of his virtue and independence when he cannot forget that he is at the moment enjoying the wages of falsehood and that in a skulking unmanly way he has secured himself a pension of fifteen hundred pounds per annum on the irish establishment do honest men sir for i am not rising to the refined principle of honour ever receive the reward of their public services or secret assistance in the name of another but to return from a digression which you will more perfectly understand than any of my readers on what principle you sir can justify the reformation which tore up by the roots an old establishment i cannot guess but i beg your pardon perhaps you do not wish to justify it and have some mental reservation to excuse you to yourself for not openly avowing your reverence or to go further back had you been a jew you would have joined in the cry crucify him crucify him the promulgator of a new doctrine and the violator of old laws and customs that not melting like ours rested on divine authority must have been a dangerous innovator in your eyes particularly if you had not been informed that the carpenter's son was of the stock and lineage of david but there is no end to the arguments which might be deduced to combat such palpable absurdities by showing the manifest inconsistencies which are necessarily involved in a direful train of false opinions it is necessary emphatically to repeat that there are rights which men inherit at their birth as rational creatures who were raised above the brute creation by their improvable faculties and that in receiving these not from their forefathers but from god prescription can never undermine natural rights a father may dissipate his property without his child having any right to complain but should he attempt to sell him for a slave or fetter him with laws contrary to reason nature in enabling him to discern good from evil teaches him to break the ignoble chain and not to believe that bread becomes flesh 
and wine blood because his parents swallowed the eucharist with this blind persuasion there is no end to this implicit submission to authority somewhere it must stop or we return to barbarism and the capacity of improvement which gives us a natural sceptre on earth is a cheat an ignis fatuis that leads us from inviting meadows into bogs and dunghills and if it be allowed that many of the precautions with which any alteration was made in our government were prudent it rather proves its weakness than substantiates an opinion of the soundness of the stamina or the excellence of the constitution but on what principle mr burke could defend american independence i cannot conceive for the whole tenor of his plausible arguments settles slavery on an everlasting foundation allowing his servile reverence for antiquity and prudent attention to self-interest to have the force which he insists on the slave trade ought never to be abolished and because our ignorant forefathers not understanding the native dignity of man sanctioned a traffic that outrages every suggestion of reason and religion we are to submit to the inhuman custom and term an atrocious insult to humanity the love of our country and a proper submission to the laws by which our property is secured security of property behold in a few words the definition of english liberty and to this selfish principle every nobler one is sacrificed the briton takes place of the man and the image of god is lost in the citizen but it is not that enthusiastic flame which in greece and rome consumed every sordid passion no self is the focus and the disparting rays rise not above our foggy atmosphere but softly it is only the property of the rich that is secure the man who lives by the sweat of his brow has no asylum from oppression the strong man may enter when was the castle of the poor sacred and the base informer steal him from the family that depend on his industry for subsistence. fully sensible as you must be of the baneful consequences that inevitably follow this notorious infringement on the dearest rights of men and that it is an infernal blot on the very face of our immaculate constitution i cannot avoid expressing my surprise that when you recommended our form of government as a model you did not caution the french against the arbitrary custom of pressing men for the sea service you should have hinted to them that property in england is much more secure than liberty and not have concealed that the liberty of an honest mechanic his all is often sacrificed to secure the property of the rich for it is a farce to pretend that a man fights for his country his hearth or his altars when he has neither liberty nor property his property is in his nervous arms and they are compelled to pull a strange rope at the surly command of a tyrannic boy who probably obtained his rank on account of his family connections or the prostituted vote of his father whose interest in a borough or a voice as a senator was acceptable to the minister our penal laws punish with death the thief who steals a few pounds but to take by violence or trepan a man is no such heinous offence 
for who shall dare to complain of the venerable vestige of the law that rendered the life of a deer more sacred than that of a man but it was the poor man with only his native dignity who was thus oppressed and only metaphysical sophists and cold mathematicians can discern this insubstantial form it is a work of abstraction and a gentleman of lively imagination must borrow some drapery from fancy before he can love or pity a man misery to reach your heart i perceive must have its cap and bells your tears are reserved very naturally considering your character for the declamation of the theatre or for the downfall of queens whose rank alters the nature of folly and throws a graceful veil over vices that degrade humanity whilst the distress of many industrious mothers whose helpmates have been torn from them and the hungry cry of helpless babes were vulgar sorrows that could not move your commiseration though they might extort an alms the tears that are shed for fictitious sorrow are admirably adapted says rousseau to make us proud of all the virtues which we do not possess the baneful effects of the despotic practice of pressing we shall in all probability soon feel for a number of men who have been taken from their daily employments will shortly be let loose on society now that there is no longer any apprehension of a war the vulgar and by this epithet i mean not only to describe a class of people who working to support the body have not had time to cultivate their minds but likewise those who born in the lap of affluence have never had their invention sharpened by necessity are nine out of ten the creatures of habit and impulse if i were not afraid to derange your nervous system by the bare mention of a metaphysical inquiry i should observe sir that self-preservation is literally speaking the first law of nature and that the care necessary to support and guard the body is the first step to unfold the mind and inspire a manly spirit of independence the mewing babe in swaddling clothes who is treated like a superior being may perchance become a gentleman but nature must have given him uncommon faculties if when a pleasure hangs on every bough he has sufficient fortitude either to exercise his mind or body in order to acquire personal merit the passions are necessary auxiliaries of reason a present impulse pushes us forward and when we discover that the game did not deserve the chase we find that we have gone over much ground and not only gained many new ideas but a habit of thinking the exercise of our faculties is the great end though not the goal we had in view when we started with such eagerness it would be straying still further into metaphysics to add that this is one of the strongest arguments for the natural immortality of the soul everything looks like a means nothing like an end or point of rest when we can say now let us sit down and enjoy the present moment our faculties and wishes are proportioned to the present scene we may return without repining to our sister claude 
and if no conscious dignity whisper that we are capable of relishing more refined pleasures the thirst of truth appears to be allayed and thought the faint type of an immaterial energy no longer bounding it knows not where is confined to the tenement that affords it sufficient variety the rich man may then thank his god that he is not like other men but when is retribution to be made to the miserable who cry day and night for help and there is no one at hand to help them and not only misery but immorality proceeds from this stretch of arbitrary authority the vulgar have not the power of emptying their mind of the only ideas they imbibed whilst their hands were employed they cannot quickly turn from one kind of life to another pressing them entirely unhinges their minds they acquire new habits and cannot return to their old occupations with their former readiness consequently they fall into idleness drunkenness and the whole train of vices which you stigmatize as gross a government that acts in this manner cannot be called a good parent nor inspire natural habitual is the proper word affection in the breasts of children who are thus disregarded the game laws are almost as oppressive to the peasantry as press warrants to the mechanic in this land of liberty what is to secure the property of the poor farmer when his noble landlord chooses to plant a decoy field near his little property game devour the fruit of his labor but fines and imprisonment await him if he dares to kill any or lift up his hand to interrupt the pleasure of his lord how many families have been plunged in the sporting countries into misery and vice for some paltry transgression of these coercive laws by the natural consequence of that anger which a man feels when he sees the reward of his industry laid waste by unfeeling luxury when his children's bread is given to the dogs End of part one.